turning my microphone on, but uh, if you would join me in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Uh, I, uh, as is my custom on Mother's Day and Father's Day, I like to find examples, and yes, you can stand in honor of God's Word. Some of you are already there, but um, I like to find examples from the Bible and uh, examples that we can imitate that are good models for us, uh, and not just, of course, for mothers, but for all of us to reflect on their character, their way of life, and how we might uh, learn from them and grow uh, by imitating them. So today we look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray today that we would leave this place being encouraged If we walk in low, I pray, Lord, we leave stronger because your Holy Spirit has spoken to us, comforted us, encouraged us, and strengthened us. And I pray that we're reminded today of your perfect love, even though we are imperfect mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, just human beings. We are imperfect, but Father, you are perfect, and your love is sufficient, your grace is is sufficient for our weakness. And so, Father, pray your blessing over every person here today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what is a mother? Um, might say many things, uh, but uh, we would say at least that mothers are gifts to us. A mother is a gift to all of us, uh, and some gifts go beyond what we can adequate, adequately describe with words. Um, and uh, words become inadequate really to capture all that mothers do on a continual basis. And of course, we uh, set aside a a day in the year to uh, celebrate uh, mothers, but at the same time, this is something we're thankful for every single day. The Bible says to honor your father and your mother, and that's not something we should do just one day a year. It's something that should be a lifestyle for us. And today, as uh, we look at uh, Scripture, there are many good examples uh, in the Bible that come from women, uh, that come in general, that come from mothers in particular. Uh, You can look at Miriam and Deborah and Hannah and Huldah. You get to the New Testament, you've got a slew of Marys, Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Mary from Bethany, Martha, Priscilla. Um, you could go on and on, uh, these uh, godly women, many of them mothers, leaving us an example of faithfulness for us to learn from. So today, uh, however, we look at uh, a couple of women that are easily overlooked, and that's because uh, really they're only named once in uh, the Bible, and it might seem like an offhanded remark, but uh, today we're going to do a little uh, digging in Scripture, and as we'll find, uh, these are very impactful women that should not be overlooked, uh, but that we have much to learn from today. And so today we look at the faith of Eunice and Lois 
as we just read in 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. So four lessons today from a faithful mother, and this is not, again, just for mothers to learn from, uh, and certainly we celebrate uh, that, but this is something for all of us uh, to learn from uh, these examples of faithfulness and godliness. So lesson number one, parenting happens in less than ideal circumstances. Parenting happens in less than ideal circumstances. Some of you said amen. Some of you are like, oh me. Uh, But either way, uh, it's true. Uh, Parenting happens in less than ideal circumstances. What do we know about Eunice? Uh, Well, we know uh, Eunice's name actually means good victory. Uh, It's where we get the word Nike. Part of that name uh, is uh, uh, the Nike, where we get the word Nike, but it means good Victory. She was a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ, married to a Greek man. And so turn over to Acts chapter 16. Uh, She is not mentioned in Acts 16, but her name is not at least, but she is referenced in Acts chapter 16. And I think this is an important uh, part of what we learn from her. In Acts 16, verses 1 and following, it says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Okay? Um, It says in verse 2, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, in the faith and grew daily in number. So Timothy, his name means one who honors God. And so even though she was married to a Greek who, by all indications, was not a believer in Jesus Christ or practicing the religion of Eunice, Uh, They still honored God in naming their son one who honors God, Timothy. Um, Probably Lois and Eunice, it doesn't say this explicitly, but probably they came to faith on Paul's first missionary journey. So what we know from other places is that they were devout uh, Jews and faithful in Judaism. Uh, But probably on Paul's first missionary journey to Lystra, uh, they would have heard the good news that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, uh, that God raised him from the dead, that God loves them, and they would have committed themselves to Christ and become followers of Jesus as their king and as their Messiah. What they saw, the Bible doesn't really spell this out for us, but uh, what happened in Lystra was Paul went in, he preached that gospel, and that upset a lot of people. And this is a town where they dragged Paul outside of the city and they stoned him to the point to where they thought he was dead. And so they leave Paul out there and then he comes back into the town. Now, we don't know if they witnessed this or not. They certainly would have heard of it and would have been aware of it. And so uh, their opening uh, promotion of the Christian faith is to see someone preach the gospel who is a believer and a follower of Christ, and then he's stoned and left for dead. In that context, they become followers of Jesus Christ. So what do we know? We know Lois and Eunice converted from Judaism to Christianity, becoming followers of Christ. 
And on Paul, probably on Paul's first missionary journey. And as it says in Acts 14, verses 21 and 22, it says, Paul returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And so they were discipled by the apostle Paul. Now, what's easily overlooked in all of this that I've already alluded to was the silence and complete absence of Eunice's husband. By all appearances, he was not a participant in uh, the religious upbringing of Timothy, at least not a Christian upbringing. And Paul never mentions him in regard to his faith in Christ. Uh, So he, in all likelihood, did not practice uh, Christianity. And assuming that his father was still alive, we have a scenario in which a Christian mother is married to a non-believing Greek in a highly patriarchal society and tasked with raising her son to be a faithful follower of Jesus. Now, in their culture, in their context, uh, it was expected for the household to adopt the faith of the Greek father. So culture was pushing against her. Her place in society was pushing against her. She was raising Timothy in less than ideal circumstances, and if you are a parent in this room, your circumstances are less than ideal. All around us, there are threats, there are challenges to the Christian faith. Uh, We have mountaintop experiences, we have valley experiences, uh, but there are always threats to uh, the Christian faith, and it's just hard uh, to raise kids in really any environment You're raising kids in less than ideal circumstances. And some of you right now are looking at me like, yeah, tell me more, Captain Obvious, right? Uh, Because we know this, right? We know this. But a lot of times, what we know intellectually, sometimes we have a hard time allowing that to translate into our hearts to where we know that we are not alone. What what, What do we need to be reminded of in light of this reality? I love the story, uh, a little-known story in the Old Testament. I say it's a little-known, probably a lot of you know it, but uh, the story of uh, Hagar. Did you know that there's only one person in the entire Old Testament who gave a name to God? And it was Hagar in the Old Testament. She was uh, found, she had a child and her mistress uh, was mistreating her, and so she fled And she ran out into the wilderness, ran out into the desert with this child. Again, less than ideal circumstances. And the Bible says in Genesis 16, 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Now I think she said that, I think she gave that name because that was precisely what she was dealing with. She was dealing with the opposite of feeling unseen, of feeling uh, perhaps like a failure, feeling like there was no light at the end of the tunnel. She's out in the desert in a, a very difficult situation with her child and God and met her there. She had an encounter with the Lord there and she realized after that experience that no matter what, God sees me. Mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, Christians, whoever you are, I want you to know something this morning. However you're feeling, uh, whatever baggage you're bringing in, whatever you're struggling with, you may feel alone this morning. But I want you to know 
we worship the God who sees you. He is the one who sees. And that means that you are not alone. He is your good shepherd. He walks with you. And I pray today that he would make you aware of his presence. Um, Lesson number two, the quality of your faith is contagious. The quality of your faith is contagious. So we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Um, the Apostle Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Now remember, uh, Timothy, as we read earlier in Acts, uh, at a very young age, uh, he goes with Paul, which would have been a very dangerous thing for him to do in that uh, in those days, he goes with Paul at a very young age on a missionary journey, going from church to church, delivering the decision from the apostles, delivering uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So any of you have ever been on a mission trip with someone or been to camp or something like that, you've had that kind of experience, you know that there is a bonding that takes place under those circumstances. It's really hard uh, to, uh, to, to imitate anywhere else. And so this has happened for Paul and Timothy. Paul uh, continues to reflect. He says, verse 4, Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. So this really is a father-son dynamic. And as uh, Paul was going from town to town, at some point it became strategically wise for Timothy to stay somewhere. And so they parted ways for a period of time, and they were so close that Timothy is brought to tears, and Paul sees that, and Paul is longing to see him again that he may be filled with joy. But listen to what he says about Lois and Eunice again. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which, I've, which, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I... And persuaded now lives in you also. They had a sincere faith. That word sincere tells the quality of their faith. What kind of faith did they have? They had a sincere faith. The word means that their faith was genuine, without pretense or hypocrisy. Literally, it means without play acting. They are not putting on a show. Uh, in following Christ, this is who they are. This is their passion. Christ is their heart. When they came to faith, it wasn't one of those uh, Thursday night at youth camp experiences where everybody's going down, everybody's getting saved. Uh, these are circumstances where they just saw Paul probably stoned and left for dead and come back into the city, and this is what you're getting. This is what you're going to get in following Christ. You're going to be shamed, you're going to be shunned. And they came to Christ under those circumstances. They had a sincere faith. Now, I uh, I love sometimes how uh, the Bible will demonstrate what a word means by giving you the opposite of what it means under a different set of circumstances. Over in Matthew chapter 23, we see the opposite of a sincere faith, which I think helps us understand what sincere faith really looks like and what it really means. In Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he he says this in Matthew 23, verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. 
by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And you do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor in the side. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what was the issue with the Pharisees? Says everything they do is to be seen. They are literally putting on a performance using their religion, using their faith to impress others. That's hypocrisy. There's a, an inconsistency between what is professed and ultimately what is practiced and what is in their heart. As Jesus says later, they honor the Lord with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And that is the opposite of a sincere faith where it's showy, and all about self and exalting self rather than a self-forgetful faith that is about exalting others. The authentic faith in Lois and in Eunice, Paul says, I am now persuaded is in you also. Now, I think on a common sense level, we know that this, this happens, where certain traits that you have, whether good or bad, uh, are passed on to your kids. So if we go out to eat... Uh, and uh, it gets time to order drinks, I know what most of my kids are going to order. And why? Because they have been trained in a godly environment (laughs) where you order Dr. Pepper, right? That's what you do. And so uh, I know what what, uh, most of them are going to order. Sometimes they surprise me, but uh, that's typically the way it goes. There are traits in us that are passed on to our kids. And I believe the same is true with faith. Here's a takeaway, I think, for us as parents. The most impactful trait you can develop in yourself is to be a passionate, long-suffering, faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who lives out the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is modeled, that's to be modeled in our lives because we know that much in life is caught more than taught. Okay, we're going to talk about teaching here in just a moment, but a lot in life is caught more than taught. And so uh, in environments like this, uh, worship the Lord. In different environments, serve the Lord in humility. Lay down an example. Lay down a foundation. There's this uh, proverb, uh, Proverbs 22, 6, which many of us are familiar with. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs 22, 6. Now, we would know that that's not automatically uh, just a law, a fixed law in society, but this is a general rule of thumb, generally the way things work and the way things go. And so the quality of our faith is contagious in that it encourages others to model us and imitate us as well. Lesson number three, what you teach gives spiritual momentum. What you teach gives spiritual momentum. Turn over, if you would, in 2 Timothy to chapter 3, Verse 14. Now, this is another example where uh, these women are not specifically mentioned, but where they are certainly present in the text. So in 2 Timothy 3, 14, Paul says, But as for you, 
continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know that those, excuse me, those who from, uh, from whom you learned it, excuse me, verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul's encouraging Timothy to continue in what he himself has become convinced of. So it's not just that they modeled the faith, and so Timothy said, okay, yeah, I guess I'll go along with it. At some point along the way, he was compelled himself. He became convinced himself of the truthfulness of the Christian faith and became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly he saw uh, what was modeled, this model at home with Eunice and Lois, but also with the Apostle Paul a little bit earlier in verses 10 and following, Paul talks about his own persecution, how in his own walk, Timothy saw the hardships that Paul went through. And he saw uh, first row seat, his teaching, his way of life, his purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. He saw the authenticity of his faith as well as his parents. But I want you to notice a, a word that's easily overlooked here, and that is the word continue. He is to continue in what he's been taught, continue in what the Holy Scriptures. Now, he wouldn't have had the New Testament. He would have had the Old Testament. And from the Old Testament itself, he learns the way of salvation. Um, And so uh, in the Holy Scriptures, Timothy is learning of salvation in Jesus Christ. But I want to point something out, this idea of continuing. Okay, this idea of continuing. I believe uh, when you go to a water park, uh, one of the best parts of the water park is the lazy river, right? Uh, You go to uh, the water park and you get on the lazy river and you just chill, right? Uh, You're just floating around. You're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything. You're just relaxing. But there's what? A spiritual, not spiritual. There is a current. (laughs) I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But there is a current in those waters, and it's kind of hard to swim the opposite way. It's kind of fun to do that as well, although that's uh, also kind of annoying for others who are just wanting to float along. But uh, you can go the opposite direction, but it's harder, okay? Um, in life, uh, and here's the point I was going to make, in life there is a spiritual current in your home. Your home has a current in it. And it's not necessarily like a lazy river where it just goes in circles. It's more like a river where it's taking the people in your home somewhere. And my question for you this morning is where is that current taking the people in your home? Is it materialism? Is it popularity? Is it sports? Is it music? Is there some idol in your home that really your home is oriented around this and the current, the spiritual current in your home is moving everybody in that direction? My encouragement for you this morning is to make sure that the current in your home pushes towards Christ, that you are men and women, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, who in your home you're exalting Christ as Lord and the virtues of the Christian faith. Lois and Eunice, under less than ideal circumstances, brought up Timothy in the Holy Scriptures where he knew them 
And so when Paul came and he preached the gospel, the foundation was laid for him to hear about the Messiah, for him to hear about the Christ and believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lois and Eunice had laid that kind of foundation. Finally, lesson number four, and we wrap things up here. Your impact will outlive you. Your impact will outlive you. And I, I know, because I felt this myself as a parent, as human beings, as mothers, as fathers, quite often we feel like, what difference are we really making? Is this really landing? Is this really taking us anywhere? And we feel like we're spinning mud, spinning our tires in the mud, not going anywhere. If you would, turn over. I'll just share two scripture passages with you. Deuteronomy 6, and then we'll be done for this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I believe, summarizes much of what we've been talking about. This is something that's just cycled throughout the Bible over and over and over again. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, as they're getting ready to enter the promised land, uh, Deuteronomy means basically a second telling of the law. So uh, Deuteronomy is a reminder for God's children. Uh, any of you ever needed, felt the need to remind uh, someone? Okay, so this is a reminder for God's children as they go into the promised land. And it begins saying this, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that, why are you to observe these laws and commands? So that, verse 2, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life here, Israel, and be careful to, to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So as they obey, as they have a sincere faith where they're following after God, the impact of that is going to be on their children and on their children's children for generations to come that they might know who the Lord is. He continues, verse 4. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I have given you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. What are you doing? You're getting a current flowing in your home. You're putting scripture everywhere. You're wanting to talk about it. You should love to talk about the word, to talk about the deep things in life. Um, not just small talk. Small talk's great, but at some point, the weather's going to do what the weather's going to do, right? At some point, the cowboys are going to do what the cowboys are going to do, okay? And so you've got to get down deeper to talking about things that matter in life on a habitual basis so that you have those conversations. And maybe you're not necessarily equipped to have all the answers, but just from the standpoint of learning from one another, of listening to one another and growing together. Part of teaching is not just instructing people and they're the only ones that learn, but it's learning yourself. 
so that you might pass it on to others. And when you do so, your impact will outlive you. Skip down to chapter 6, verse 20. It says, in the future, when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Notice what happens next. Verse 21, tell them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land. He promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all these laws before the Lord our God, he has commanded us that we will be that, that will be our righteousness. So uh, here, here's what I want you to take away from this. When your sons raise up and your daughters come about and they ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws? What are they supposed to do? Tell them the story of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to them, God's faithfulness to the people. Tell the story of God. What are you supposed to be doing as parents? Yes, model Model it, have a sincere faith where you're genuine, you're authentic, you're living it out. When you sing these songs of worship, you're singing it because you mean it, because you're truly grateful for the Lord, and you're living out of the essence of who you are, but also teaching the scriptures, and most importantly, telling the story of God, which for us would be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, telling your story, what God has done in your life, how before you came to know Christ, you were lost, and Christ changed your life, and he has transformed your life, and you're grateful for him. But then tell them the story of what Jesus did, his death on the cross, his resurrection, how he's king of kings, he's lord of lords. He is perfect in every way. Let's close by looking at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Your impact will outlive you. Um, I believe that's true of mothers. I believe that's true of fathers. I believe that's true of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that your impact will outlive you. Now I want you to reflect for a moment on something. Who is Lois and Eunice again? Now we're having a conversation about them 2,000 years after they died. But I want you to imagine what their regular day probably looked like. They weren't standing on a stage and giving uh, speeches or anything like that. They, they uh, didn't even get to follow Paul on missionary journeys or anything like that. I mean, th there's a lot that they did not do. Probably on a regular basis, it looked very much like an agricultural life where they woke up, they had certain chores they did. They made sure that they fit within their life, obedience to Christ, teaching Timothy, discipling, probably going to synagogue when they could, but gathering with the church later on. They lived a quiet life. Probably, for all we know, it could have been very uneventful, unlike a lot of the stories that we find in the New Testament. And yet, through all of that, as they discipled Timothy, Paul goes on his first missionary journey 
and he swoops back in on his second missionary journey. And let's imagine he's a college recruiter. And when he came in, in Timothy, he found a five-star recruit to take with him on his next journey. Forged in the flames of a loving grandmother and a loving mother who modeled a sincere faith and who taught him the Holy Scriptures. And so as Paul goes out on the missionary journey, Timothy goes with him at a very young age. But at some point, Timothy goes out on his own, which is the whole reason why we have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. You're not writing letters to someone who's with you. You're writing letters to someone who's not with you, at least in the context of that situation. And so Timothy's away. He's planning churches. He's appointing elders. He's serving. He's preaching the gospel. He's doing all of these things. And so Paul says this of Timothy in Philippians 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. A sincere faith that once lived in Lois and Eunice, Paul says, I am now persuaded Timothy is in you. You may not feel it. You may not see it. And quite honestly, if... If we were candid with ourselves, many days uh, we have a hard time believing it. But you impact this world a lot more than you know. Mothers, fathers, followers of Christ, you impact this world a lot more than you know. We wouldn't know anything about Lois and Eunice had Paul not mentioned their names in one passage in the Bible. And yet what a profound impact they had on early Christianity because they were faithful to Christ. Living a quiet life doesn't have to be on a stage, doesn't have to be in front of a lot of people, doesn't have to be a lot of acknowledgement. God is working through faithful people in this room to reach people for Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, as we begin to wrap up this service, I pray today that we have followed that biblical command to honor our mothers. And I pray that they would know. I pray that we would all know those of us who come in and maybe battling regrets or guilt or we may just be struggling with life. Father, I pray that we would know that you are the God who sees. You are the God who sees because you are the God who is there. You are the God who cares and who loves us immeasurably. And that our labor, our work in this life is not meaningless. But Father, you use it for your purposes and it ripples into eternity. And so Lord, I pray today that we'd be encouraged to go forth and continue to work for the Lord, continue to, to love children and grandchildren, continue to love our, our colleagues at work, continue to make disciples, continue to grow in our faith, knowing that that is not pointless, not a pointless endeavor. 
continue to, to read and study Scripture, but also to teach and share that with others and make disciples of others, knowing that that is not pointless. Our work is not in vain, that you are always working, whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not. So I pray your blessing over all here today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. The altar is open if you want to come trust in Christ today. If you want to be baptized. Maybe you're inspired by what you, what you saw earlier, the example that we saw earlier. And you want to be baptized. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you want to join our church and partner with us in sharing this gospel with the nations. Or maybe you just need to come kneel at the altar and say, God, I trust that you are the God who sees. And I give my life to you today. Whatever the case is, I pray that you'd walk in obedience right now as we sing. I love you.